Um, so the reading is from John chapter 1. All right. If you want to follow it in the Bibles and the chairs, it's page 810. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Peter replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Christine. I'd love to pray, and um, and then let's just let's just wonder and work out what it might mean for us right now to watch Jesus gathering people to Himself. It doesn't get much better than that. Well, let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that here in John's gospel, by his, his own admission, we have these things written so that we ourselves might believe. And through believing and through putting our trust in you for ourselves come into life in your name. And so we pray not only that you'd help us to hear, you'd help us to engage, you'd help us perhaps to to reflect or to accommodate something from your word, but we pray that it will lead us to life and that that life will be a blessing to those you lead us to and it will be your joy to have us for yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, here we are. Very briefly, because it bears a tiny recap, um, last week we looked at John, didn't we? And we looked at that moment, um, that high point in his ministry, arguably the, the moment for which he was born, and certainly for which he was set apart um, to minister in the way that he did, was in seeing Jesus and declaring for everyone who was there to, to witness it with him, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that was the, 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 the big declaration about Jesus, who he is, that John had pushed away all the stuff that pertained to him. Are you this? Are you that? What qualifications do you have? Where did you go to school? What exactly have you got? And all this stuff that he wasn't interested in, in giving an account of himself and certainly wasn't interested in being mistaken for the Messiah. Points at Jesus and says, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's the other thing he said? I didn't tell you there'd be a test, did I? But there was one other thing. There were these two big statements about Jesus. One is, he's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He's come to die, to set us free, to rise in victory. But what was the other thing he wants to do? Something else he wants to do. Gotcha. Baptize us with the Holy Spirit. He is the one. John says, my baptism is great. Come and get it. You know, I baptize in water. But one coming after me. It's in the other Gospels too, but here he says, so that we know he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Are you excited? I think those are two very good, very good phrases. And we join, we're still with John, we're on the next day. I know it's been seven days since we talked about this, but it's the next day. And so some of John's disciples, we've got to assume that they were there and heard what John had said. So they have had somebody marked out for them. And just for good measure, he says again, at the start of our reading, look, there's the Lamb of God. So his disciples who heard this um, stray towards Jesus and start following him. And, uh, and the rest, well, we see what starts to happen to people who are taking an interest, who are following, who are pursuing the sign, the point, the invitation that John the Baptist is giving to pay attention to go to Jesus. 
So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sacrificial Lamb. The one offered for the sins not only of the past year in atonement or a particular transgression in atonement and in place of but this is an offering for the sin of the world. That's a huge payment. And is he good for it? What do you think? Has he done it? He did it. He did it. And he's the one who will baptize in Holy Spirit. He's a savior. He's going to save people from sin. And he's going to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. And this is what he's come to do. And we are a long way from John 20, verse 21 or from those conversations on the night that Jesus was arrested when he's speaking to them about what he is excited to see them step into. Greater works and a partnership with the Holy Spirit and a ministry that will change the world. But his intention is to, to set us free, to ransom and redeem us, to rescue us, to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and make us into a people that he can, to quote, John 20, 21, send into the world as the Father sent him. That's the beautiful phrase he uses, isn't it? As the Father sent me, I am sending you. This is what he is ambitious for. And so, in order to have people that he's equipping, getting ready to send, we see him begin to gather disciples. What do you think it means to be a disciple? You can shout out. I know I ask probably 80% rhetorical questions that you know, I'm just going to carry on talking. You can try and talk. But what do you think of when you think, ah, oh, disciples? The, the people who become like him. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. Where did we get that from? I suppose it's just scholarship. It's a point I love us to hold up, that it wasn't just to be good and to follow somebody and to trust them. It was ultimately that they would apprentice you and invest in you so that you were so well-versed in their ways, their teachings, their interpretation, that essentially you were, you were then kind of franchised out under Rabbi whoever, and became somebody who could carry that teaching and bring that wisdom and become altogether like your rabbi. That was the hope. That was the cultural expectation. It's like if I said to you, um, my, so it's not true, they're way too young for this, but if I said one of my sons is starting an apprenticeship, you'd understand what I meant, wouldn't you? You'd understand that that means that they're going to go along, they're, they're doing that, whatever, there's lots of apprenticeships, of BAE or whatever. You know they're going to start working, learning, and there'll be a certain amount of discipline and learning and some college and all the rest of it. But there's an end in sight, isn't there? It's not just going to be a kind of minimum wage role for, for four decades. It's under something, probably within a time frame. You think, yeah, great, he's going to be doing that then. Way to go. 
So we've got, if I use that word, we'd get it, an apprentice. And I think discipleship probably has a similar kind of cultural, you just you get what it means. So yeah, that was, a, that was a thing. What else do you think about discipleship? Being a disciple. Anything else occur to you? Yeah, there's a commitment, isn't there? Any other thoughts? I was tempted to. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was big. I mean, and very much in continuity with this morning's sort of scripture, you looked at, at, at that interaction with Jesus. There is something about being able to grow and learn and, <laughs> and fail. Isn't it brilliant that our beloved, the beloved disciple, at one point we catch him suggesting that, um, that they call fire down on a particular village. Jesus rejected the suggestion. Um, they didn't follow through on that one. But that was where he was at at the time. He thought that was a great idea. Jesus, should we call down fire on that place? They weren't very respectful to you. These are the sons of thunder. Something must have happened to his heart, do you think? <laughs> to bring him to, the, uh, to become the beloved disciple. But getting it wrong, bringing you questions, yeah, there's got to be this expectation that you're going to commit and you're going to learn and ask and inquire and be in dialogue. I like it. Yeah. Okay. What about you? Do you feel like you're a disciple of Jesus right now? Because everything I'm going to say and where it's going to land, just to spoil the end for you, is basically going to be about that. Is there any application for this, apart from that it's really interesting to watch these people and get some names and these initial interactions, they're all a bit different, a bit funny at one point. But the question really for us tonight and for this year in John is, do you think you're a disciple? Yeah? And I would say the same of myself. So then I want to dig a little bit deeper and ask myself, challenge myself a bit, and say, well, what, what does it mean? Not that what does it mean to be a disciple, because I think we've got some good ideas, even just in two minutes of sharing, but what is it looking like right now for me to be a disciple of Jesus? How's that going? How are the questions? How is the, the transformation, the becoming more like? How is the commitment? How's that, you know... How's it, how's it going? I think it's a, that for me is a really fruitful question. Not, don't, I don't want us to live in it with anxiety or any condemnation or any kind of, we, if we get into duty and religion, we've killed it. And that's what we're going to see tonight in terms of the priorities of Jesus for discipleship at the outset. But I think it's a great question to be asking on the basis of becoming more like him. And Becoming a, a saved one and a one baptized in the Spirit and one sent as the Father sent him with our brothers and sisters. What's it look like? How's it going? Or are we just doing church? I love the church. You know I love the church. But there are a lot of things we call church that may, may not be what Jesus thinks of as church. That's an interesting question. I'm way off the scripture. Should we get into the scripture? Um,
So there's this gathering of disciples, and it's a real mix, isn't it? We get some of them who seek him out. They're kind of stalking Jesus initially, and he turns around, and they're still there. It's a, okay, maybe it's not quite like that and not funny. But he, he turns to see these two that follow him, because John's pointing at the Lamb of God again, and he asks them, well, what do you want? That's a really interesting question that he asks on other occasions. I don't think he's necessarily asking for information every time he asks that question. He may have been on that occasion. might have been, what do you want? Can I do something for you? But I think usually it's a question that's provoking the person listening to articulate what they truly desire, what they're pursuing, what they want to... Because God is asking us the questions. So the... You know, blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it obvious? But there's something about connecting. Connection. He loves connection. It's no accident that Peter and John, the beautiful gate, look at us, they say to the guy, before they heal. Connection so important. And this is the thing. The discipleship was not a correspondence course. You know, this, these are all encounters with Jesus. And he's beginning to connect with them, even from the kind of like, why you guys are walking way too close to me. What do you want? And they say, where are you living? Not at all scary, is it, when two strangers following you then ask where you live. But Jesus is fine, and he says, I'll show you. And uh, they hang out for the day. That's good, isn't it? In fact, one of my favorite phrases in the reading is, they remained with him for the rest of the day. I think in another translation I was working off, it just said they spent the day with him. I think the simplicity of he invited them to come and they spent the day with him was beautiful. So there's this... Um, so some of them are following Jesus and he turns and asks them what they want. Um, then, you know, the, the next thing we see is people are being brought to Jesus or Jesus is spotting people and, and asking them to come to him. And then other people get brought to him and it seems that Jesus has got a, 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 an insight into them, has seen them. I'm assuming it's a, a word of knowledge where you, sort of, where you might have, you have a piece of information that has been given to you um, from, from heaven. Otherwise you couldn't know. But he's saying, I saw you. I saw the scene playing out. Or maybe it just means literally he saw him. I don't know. I've always thought that for Nathaniel to be that freaked out, it must have been a kind of a, a supernatural insight, just like the one with the woman at the well. I know all about your husbands. What? Let's change the subject. You know, Jesus gets information about people. So there's these different ways in which these people begin to connect personally with Jesus. It's not a particular blueprint, is it? The thing that connects all of these is that people are finding their way into conversation and connection and encounter with Jesus. From Jesus' side, I want to ask this, or look at this first. From Jesus' side, it seems that the priority is welcoming people to accompany him. Inviting people to join him. Either because they're interested or because he comes and calls them out and asks them to follow. The other thing about what we see here, it's 
you know, maybe it's stating the obvious. But something that Jesus welcoming people to, to come and, and make, make a relationship and, and join him. That seems to be fundamental. The other thing is something about the degree of interest. You don't have a, an aloof Jesus here, do you? And I think this is important, that Jesus is not sort of walking around in sort of Scandinavian Jesus kind of film mode, sort of aloof and not really human. Um, what, I'm, what I'm loving in these verses is the degree of interest and investment he's got straight away. We have these amazing declarations from him so that we get Peter being called Peter for the first time, straight out of the, the blocks. You know, Matthew would get it at the point of him declaring faith. And maybe it's just Jesus reiterating there, oh, yes, and you're getting this. The Father's revealed it to you. And so it becomes part of the conversation where Jesus wants to talk about what Peter will be called to. But even here, he just, he's renaming him. He's playing with his name, giving him this. Names are important, aren't they, culturally? He's calling him the rock. It's significant. He sees him and he calls something out of him straight away. I know what you're like. I see your potential. Same with um, Nathaniel. It's extraordinary, isn't it? This banter that seems to be what's, maybe what's needed for Nathaniel to come and connect with him and not just dismiss him because can anything good come out of Penrith? Um, is this kind of comment, which is quite rude, really, to Nazareth and to Penrith. I, I apologize. Um, but do you know what I mean? That kind of dismissal doesn't sound very likely, mate. And then, um, so Jesus gets his attention and says, you know, I've, you know, you're quite the guy. I can see your heart. You're like the... The acme of Israelite men, Nathaniel. I see you. Nathaniel sort of saying, what? What, what? what do you know about me? Why are you so interested in me? And Jesus, I mean, he gives the most extraordinary declaration. We heard it and it was just, it's so powerful. He says, you know, after the word of knowledge about the fig tree, he's saying, no, if you're impressed with a little bit of insight from, from Father, it's going to blow your mind when you begin to understand that I am like Jacob's ladder. I am the connection between heaven and earth. I am the one bringing about the purpose of God. You're going to see things that will absolutely blow your mind, Nathaniel. And he's just, it's, there's so much that Jesus is already investing and spilling into these disciples. And I think that's important because I don't know how you might understand the discipline of being a disciple for yourself. Is it, do you feel bad if you haven't prayed for a day? Or do you feel, you know, oh, I should be, I should be further into my Bible readings already. It's January the 26th. Do you know what I mean? It's this thing where our disciplines... And talk about this in a minute, to be honest. Maybe we've skipped a bit. Our disciplines are just not an end in themselves. And sometimes the guilt and the drivers and the duty and the shoulds can be an indicator that we've made them an end in themselves. And they're only ever to serve. The discipline is good, but the discipling, which is about the relationship and the connection with this Jesus, this Jesus who is really pleased to be walking with us and working with us and calling out something we would never say or see in ourselves. This I love that we're seeing already in Jesus. That's the third thing, just to emphasize it, that 
something even at the outset of beginning to walk with Jesus, beginning to test this out. I don't know if we lose one along the way here, actually, whether Andrew comes back with Peter, but we've lost the other one of John the Baptist's disciples because there's, there's a little bit of a blur. You can, it depends who you read. Um, not everybody sticks with Jesus. But these, these, the named ones that we have here, Philip and Nathaniel, Andrew and Peter, are already discovering a new version of themselves by being in relationship with Jesus. And I think that that is one of the most exciting things about discipleship. It's not a holding pen so that you can keep your nose clean enough to get into heaven. It's a, it's a program of transformation, of relationship and of partnership that releases a crazy potential in ordinary people like you and me to pass on this gospel in all its power, change the world whilst you're about it, and then celebrate the return of Jesus as he gets everything he's paid for. Because you were tracking with that by grace. Isn't that a good thing to be involved in? It's discipleship. It's just, yeah, it's not the being a better Christian version. It's the being fully alive because you're full of Jesus version that is already in play here. And that's the discipleship that I think, yeah, is more than the disciplines. The disciplines serve it. And it is so exciting. So we're seeing that. Jesus knowing, seeing these men grabbing their attention and already sowing into them things that they would not imagine, prepping them, messing and rewiring and doing whatever brain science is so trendy at the moment. It'll pass. But you know the kind of neuropathways he's rewiring. I think so that they're in a position within seconds of discovering he's risen from the dead, to receive joy and to receive him saying, I'm going to send you to change the world. I told you I would. You know, he's softening them up. Equipping, we say, rather than softening up. So is that your experience? I asked you, do you feel like a disciple? Do you feel like discipleship is working for you? The, other, the more important question, perhaps, or to hold at the same time, is is this the Jesus you're discipling? with, under, for, alongside. Because there isn't any other Jesus and our discipleship is, is it to the call of Jesus. He's saying, come, follow me. We do get those words. That's the absolute key, isn't it? Come and follow me. Let's go somewhere. It doesn't mean you have to leave Kendall or move to Kendall. Some of you are not yet here. It means following Jesus but it takes us somewhere doesn't it it's practical so so some of the questions we might ask ourselves from this reading might be I did just borrow the question that he asks John's disciples so so we've got a sense of what he's looking for in discipleship. He's gathering disciples. Great, the program is rolling out. But we might ask ourselves or allow him to ask us, what do you want? It's a very basic question, isn't it? But it might be quite an interesting question 
Again, thinking about being a disciple. Thinking about you are called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You may, you may, that may not be news to anyone in the room. Hallelujah. But it may be worth asking that really simple question. In response to that, in this compulsion to follow him, or a desire to reconnect or to go deeper and further, what are you, how would you articulate it? What do you want? Jesus asked. Presumably there's more than one answer to that. Not just, where are you staying? Give us your address, Jesus. That was the answer in this scene. But you might have a different answer, but it could be a very pertinent and revealing answer. If you're interested in growing and you're able to articulate, what is it, what is it that you want? Because that might feel, well, goodness, it's an impertinence. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. Why on earth should it matter what I want? But actually, I tell you what matters is your willingness and my willingness to take some personal responsibility for growth, actually. Because without that, I'm just waiting for someone to sovereignly zap me into being a brilliant disciple, possibly, or something else. But it, I just don't think it'll work. There is this active pursuit of being a disciple. It's a response, which means that it is very relevant to respond to a question like, what do you want? That's a good question. Deceptively simple. What do you think? So that's one thing I think we could take away with us. Another thing we could take away is this, as I say, I just love that phrase from the, uh, the first of the encounters where they, Jesus says, come and see. So they come and see where he's staying. They kind of, uh, whatever it is, watermill hotel, something. And wherever he's staying, they go and they spend the day with him. Without being at all facetious, I just want to ask you, I'm asking myself as well, when did you last spend the day with Jesus? And if the question's a bit of a, if it kind of slightly messes us up, go, what do you mean, what do you mean? That's good. Pursue that. Pursue why it's an annoying question. Or just, if it's a straight enough question, just find an answer. When did you last spend the day with Jesus? This would lead very well into a sermon on Sabbath. I'm enjoying this book. Shall I confess straight away? It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a guy called John Mark Comer. And it's just an exploration of what it might actually look like to take on a discipline of Sabbath in a world which probably wouldn't automatically set you up for that. And to recognize a lot of the stuff that, well, I'm, he's probably a few years younger than me, but I sort of feel a generational connection. Don't let that put you off if you don't want to say that about him. But I sort of think, actually, yeah, I've imbibed a lot of givens. And there are lots of things that, you know, his life is not like mine or yours, but he's asking some really good questions about slowing down and about simplicity and about the purpose of Sabbath as opposed to the day off, and about rest, and about worship, and about connection, and about the value of people and God. And oh, it's, it's just provocative in the right ways. I'm tempted to just read some of that. But, as I say, so when did you last spend the day with Jesus? Might open a whole Sabbath can of freedom for you. But if not, if it's just the notion of indulging in being with God, 
or feeling permission to do that. It feels like a bit of a guilty pleasure to walk up a hill in solitude in the name of connecting with Jesus. Don't feel guilty, you know. Anyway, when did you last spend the day with Jesus? All these people are embarking on a life of what? A life of being with Jesus. You might argue, I quite like to kind of pick up on the fact that they're going to learn a particular skill set. They're going to watch Jesus. And they might learn from him how to navigate or to read certain tone or dynamics as people approach Jesus. Or they might, There must be all sorts of skills that these sort of tax collector, fishermen and other disciplines they previously had that they're, they're learning. But really the point is, beginning and end, that they are embarking on a life now of being with Jesus. And that is the beginning and the middle and the end of discipleship. You know, if you've had to listen to me enough, that I love Acts 3, verse 6, what I have I give to you, Peter and John, at the beautiful gate of the temple. But what I also love, without which you cannot have Acts 3, verse 6, what I have I give to you, is Acts 4.13, where when they're being told off and judged in two senses of the word, these unschooled Galileans, they noted that these unschooled people had been with Jesus. That's the qualification. That's how the disciples became world-changing, city-shaking, life-laying-down, Jesus-loving leaders of others, servants of others. And that's what begins on this day for these ones. Well, two days. Two per day. Being with Jesus. So what does that look like for you? What is being with Jesus like for you at the moment? How does it work? Does it work? That's good. And where it's working... Do you feel permission to explore that and to talk to him about that? See what he wants. I don't know. It's just worth being in a conversation with Jesus. Perhaps with each other about what that looks like. And finally, goodness me, we're getting a bit close to the end here, so I won't do justice to this. But the last question I think that's really pertinent to discipleship because we see it playing out immediately that people start to follow and respond to Jesus for themselves, is people start doing this thing that we could call come and see. I love that little phrase, come and see. That immediately discipling with Jesus, becoming a disciple, it, it automatically involves, not the task, now go and bring me three more, I'll meet you here. Do it though. I don't see Jesus saying that, but what I see people doing immediately is people going and getting people and saying, we found him. We found the Messiah. Where's he from? Doesn't sound very like. Come and see. You know, the only apologetics that are going on at this point are come and see. I love that. 
It's a great argument. There's a little bit in a Roy Godwin book called The, um, the Grace Outpouring about the retreat center Felder Brennan, and um, where it's almost a point of culture at the, the retreat center where I think it's the author, Roy Godwin, who says, um, people sometimes push back. Inevitably, people who don't know Jesus or are exploring or seeking or sometimes have these conversations where it could get quite philosophical quite quickly. And um, maybe it's just about him thinking, I just don't like that kind of conversation. But I love this little conversation he describes where somebody starts to ask some quite hard questions and he's just like, you have to take that up with Jesus. And it sounds facetious, as I use that word for a second time in the sermon, but actually I think it's the most wonderful response, actually, that ultimately in an environment where it is about the presence of God, it's about encountering God for yourself that answers are going to be found or perhaps going to become less important in a strictly intellectual sense, that it's about an encounter with Jesus. Sometimes winning an argument does nothing for a heart or a relationship with Jesus. So it's an interesting thing. I just love come and see. So that's the third thing I wanted to take away. Me, you, us. We've got, what do you want? We've got, soundtrack. We've got, when did you last spend the day with Jesus? And we've got, come and see. Andrew brings Simon. Before you know it, he's Peter. And Jesus has started that work that he's still doing at the very end of John's gospel when he's restoring him and saying, follow me, follow me. He doesn't give up easily, does he, Jesus? But he starts it on this day when Andrew brings him along. Are we echoing that invitation? I think it's not, no one's striving here. It grows out of the joy of finding Jesus and of following Jesus. It becomes something that marks your life. You do all this time with Jesus. What's with you and Jesus? Well, come and see. Come and meet him for yourself. I could talk all day, but you should come and see. Do you know? And again, there's no guilt in that, but it just seems to me that that's the, that's the fruit of discipleship, of being somebody walking with Jesus. You're in Jesus' life, and he's in your life. There's this Jesus in who you are and what you're in your life. So very, very naturally, come and see is part of life. I want that to be an encouragement. I need to take it as an encouragement. Come and see. Inviting people to Jesus. When our lives are following lives. Here's the challenge of Bonhoeffer. It's pertinent because tomorrow's Holocaust Memorial Day. And Bonhoeffer, as a pastor in the German church in the late 30s, was very aware of the church's weak stance in relation to National Socialism, the collusion with what was going on. And he just said that culturally this gives the lie to us. This is all my translation. Um, no quotes. But culturally, if you look at what's happening, Bonhoeffer is saying, we, this is giving the lie to our discipleship. We might have a neat creed and all kinds of systems that we call church, and we name it grace, and we've got a load of theology and a huge heritage. But he said, but we can believe all of it, it doesn't mean that we're disciples. We're not following Jesus. And he was, I suppose, at that point, increasingly convicted that following Jesus was going to mean a collision course 
with the nationalism that had rooted and where it was all heading. And you can read more of his story or read things that he's written. But it's that challenge. Actually, whilst I've made this all very inviting and friendly, that we could do an awful lot of believing the right things and being around activities and somehow avoid being followers of Jesus, actually following Jesus. And I think that's the thing with this, you know, I've made it so simple. What, evangelism is just come and see? Well, yes, in the sense that a follower of Jesus, the life that we live, is so wrapped around the life of Jesus that it becomes, I think, an easier conversation at times when I'm living at more of a distance from him and I've got to work it all up. It's theory. My theory for your theory. It's not as good as come and see. So, there's the invitation. Follow me, says Jesus. And we might just ask ourselves, what does it look like What do I want? What does spending time with Jesus look like in this process of following and learning and growing and being in dialogue? And how much come and see is happening in my life? And all you need to ask is more, Lord, help me. If you feel like it's something you want. Yeah? Let's pray. Do you want to pray? Do you need to change position? Wave your hands. Stand up? I don't know. I'm just going to pray. Father, we want to be your disciples. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. More, Lord. Thank you for sending us as the Father has sent you. And for what we've tasted so far of answering that. But we pray for one another jealously we want grace and power and you to renew our lives in discipleship in being followers being in your life being with you learning from you changing and giving away this grace god so come and fill our lives afresh come and lead us through this year and way beyond to things that we might we might not ask or imagine but are your purpose. We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you.